0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 35, coming to the end of Luke's gospel. If you're new with us, uh, we have worked verse by verse through the gospel of Luke over the last uh, more than two and a half years, and we are coming to the end quickly, and this morning... As we look at Luke 24, 28 through 35, we see the second half of the story of the two disciples who are journeying from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And in the text, we find a uh, hopeful, hopeful circumstance. So go ahead and stand with me and follow along as I read, beginning with verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we we say to you, you're so gracious to us for giving us your word. Your word is truth. Your word is living and active. Your word is breathed out by you. It is profitable for us. And so we want to be attentive to it this morning, Father. We want your help in that. We pray that your spirit would stir our hearts and awaken us to the truths of your word truths of you, Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So in the previous text, we learned that there are two disciples who are journeying from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus, it says, draws near to them as they're on the way and spoke with them. It tells us that Even though he was right there with them physically, somehow they did not recognize him. It was was kept from them. They were prevented from recognizing that it was Jesus. And as he goes along explaining to them from the Old Testament scriptures the things that pointed to himself, they don't recognize him. But today we get to the second part of the text. And we see what happens when their eyes are opened, when they realize it is Jesus and he is alive. There's a transformational, joy-producing event that takes place when their eyes are opened to him. And there are very practical implications that we see in them for us. Verse 28, "...so they drew near to the village of Emmaus, to which they were going." they arrive at the village, it says that Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on there. There's not necessarily any reason to presume that he's playing games with them. He was going farther. And yet, he's God in the flesh. And so, he knows that he's not going farther. There's a mystery in there, right? We could be okay with that. But there's a genuine persuading coming from these two disciples. The the persuading is very genuine. They urged him, it says, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. Now there's probably two reasons for this urging, this, this eager desire for Jesus to stay with them. First of all, obviously, Jesus' teaching has impacted both of these disciples. We can see that from the rest of the text we just read. Their hearts have been stirred. So they they don't want this man, whoever he is, who has, for the first time in their lives, unpacked for them the glory of the Old Testament, pointing to the Messiah, which is him. They don't want him to leave. Their hearts have been stirred. They understand things they've never understood before because this man has taught it to them. So surely they're wanting to hear more from him. So that's certainly part of the desire for him to stay. But secondly, we notice what they say. Stay, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. In other words, it's going to be night very soon. And traveling at night was discouraged. Traveling late in the evening or at night involved dangers from robbers that could involve obstacles along the path that you wouldn't be able to see. Wild animals that would be out at night. There are no streetlights, right? There's no visibility when you're traveling at night in Jesus' day. So they're urging him, stay with us. Don't go further Now. And he does. It says he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So not only does Jesus stay with them, but as they sit down together, he is given the role of host. This would have been unusual. The breaking of the bread would be done by the host, by the host of the home by the one inviting the guest into the home. But they have, they have seen something in Jesus where they honor, they're honoring him in a way where they give him this role of host even at their own table. And so he breaks bread. And then the amazing happens. Verse 31, And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Right there before Jesus Assume there's three, there's probably, possibly family there as well. But at least the three of them, for the first time in this journey, their eyes are open and they recognize, they realize, this is Jesus. This is the one we follow. They're disciples, they're followers of this man, Jesus, and their eyes are opened, realizing this is him. This is who's been teaching us, this is who's been with us all along. So you can imagine the joy that must have instantaneously filled their hearts. If you remember or know the story in John's Gospel of Mary, when she encounters Jesus in the garden after his resurrection, and he's hidden from her eyes. And then there's that moment where Jesus says to her, Mary, and her eyes are opened, and she proclaims, Rabbani, which means teacher. And the scriptures there tell us that she began to cling to him because of this instantaneous joy and longing to be with him. Certainly, these two disciples are feeling that same intense joy. They want to be with Jesus. They want to stay with him. They're feeling thankfulness and joy and a desire for this Time with him to continue, and yet the very next phrase tells us he vanished, just disappears. Jesus' glorified, resurrected body, which is a body, we will see that in the next sections. His glorified, resurrected body possesses qualities or abilities enables him to appear at will to disappear we see in other gospels where he he appears in rooms where doors have been locked almost before they fully realize what has happened he's gone i mean how how much has it taken into their heart before he just vanishes Certainly they wanted him to stay, right? If they had wanted him to stay on the road when it's getting dark and they don't recognize him and they're urging him, stay, stay with us, don't go further. Certainly now that their eyes are opened to the truth that this is Jesus risen from the dead, they long for him to stay and yet he goes. And as we see in the following verses, though they long for him to be present with them, even though he goes away from them physically, his going away doesn't keep them from actively responding to their belief and their knowledge that he is alive. When you consider in John's gospel, Jesus has prepared them for this. Now, this isn't his ascension that we see here, but it's coming. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at the ascension of Jesus, where he will leave them bodily for a long, long, long time for them for the rest of their lives on earth. But he says in John's gospel, when he's preparing them for that, It's to your advantage if I go away. Because if I go, then I'll send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Certainly they wanted him to stay. Certainly they would say, yes, we wish Jesus was here with us still presently. In bodily form here with us. But his leaving doesn't affect The practical response to their faith and knowledge that He is alive. They still do something with that knowledge. They still do something in response to that faith. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? So the first thing that they do is rejoice in the truth of His resurrection. Together. There's this gospel community that's happening among them. They recount the things that took place. They worship Him. They're speaking gospel, the things that He taught to them along the way, and the response that was happening in their heart. Didn't our hearts burn as He opened to us the Scriptures? Their excitement is understandable. As they reflect on what has taken place in their heart as Jesus has explained the scriptures to them, it's understandable that they would be excited, that they would be joyful. Paul tells us in Romans 10:17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So one of the things that happened because of that journey, because of that time where Jesus is teaching them speaking the word of Christ to them the gospel of Christ one of the things that happens because of that journey is that their faith has been strengthened because that's what happens when God's word is taught and put into our hearts faith comes from that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ but also Paul says in Romans 15:4 for whatever was written in former days Was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now Paul in Romans 15 only has the Old Testament. God's using him to give us the New Testament. So what he's talking about in Romans 15 or uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Whenever he's talking about the scriptures he's talking about the Old Testament. The very words that Jesus is unpacking for these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so, another thing that has happened is that these disciples are given hope. Hope because through the encouragement of the Scriptures, they realize the necessity now of Jesus' death and the victory of his resurrection. Their hope is now revived. The Scriptures, rightly understood and embraced, bring hope. These disciples have gone from dejected to joy-filled. They've gone from being full of despair to being filled with hope. All because of Jesus. All because of his word being planted in their hearts. All because they recognize him now. Now they know him and they believe in what he has done to save them from their sins. And that doesn't, that doesn't push them away from community and, and being together. It draws them closer together. Imagine these two disciples. Imagine here Jesus disappearing as soon as they recognize this is our Savior. What must they be thinking? How kind... How kind that the Lord would single them out to reveal Himself in such a wonderful and gracious way. That's grace. He didn't have to come to them on the road. But He does. And they're filled with joy and faith and hope. So filled with joy and faith and hope that they must go and tell others. That's the next practical response that we see from these two who now know and believe that Jesus is alive. Verses 33 through 35. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking Of bread. So they go and they return to Jerusalem. It says they found the eleven. Now, this is the first time that the apostles are referred to as the eleven. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, it's been the twelve, right? But Judas is gone now. Do you have the eleven remaining apostles? But Luke is using this as a title, it's just a title for the apostles gathered together. It doesn't mean that all 11 were necessarily there. In fact, we know from John's gospel that Thomas was in fact not there when these two come. So it's simply a title. The apostles, at least some of them, and some others were gathered together. And likely, in light of what we find out in this section of the text... It's pretty exciting. There's a worship service that's taking a place among the 11 and those gathered with them. And so the two disciples who have been on the road to Emmaus come to this place where the 11 and the others are gathered together. And before they can get out their incredible news, they're told something. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared To Simon. So between verses 12 and verse 34 in Luke's account, the Lord has also appeared to Peter. And so this gathering of the eleven and others are celebrating this truth that Jesus is alive, He's risen from the dead. They're overjoyed that their Savior lives, they are eyewitnesses of this. And so when these two disciples arrive, they don't even get the chance to share their eyewitness account before they're told Jesus is alive. But that doesn't spoil their joy. It's not one of those circumstances where you go up and you're expecting to tell someone something and they beat you to the punch, right? They, Oh, yeah, I already knew that. Right? And you're like, oh. It's not that at all. There's overwhelming joy still in these two disciples they begin to tell their story with great joy they tell those gathered about how jesus has come to them what happened on the road it says certainly all that he had taught them from the scriptures and then most joyfully that time at the table where jesus breaks bread and he was Known to them in the breaking of the bread, it says. For these eyewitnesses, these two on the road to Emmaus, Peter, maybe Mary is among those gathered together. Those who have seen, and now those who have heard and are celebrating. For these eyewitnesses, the cross... The very emblem of suffering and torture and despair and shame and transgression that had brought them so much sorrow over the previous hours, in a moment becomes the object of glory because Jesus is alive, He's no longer dead. So what happened to him on the cross, they now know makes sense and was not the end of him. It was the way of redemption and salvation for them and for us. Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great Mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. These disciples are experiencing that joy and that hope. This is the hope and that not only they but that we can have. This is the joy that they know and we who are in Christ know. It's a hope that does something. It's a hope that impacts the way that we live. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has practical effects on our living. We see it here in the text. We see it with these two uh, uh, disciples. Think about these two disciples and the immediate change that takes place in them when they know, when they realize Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. He's alive. We saw him. Die. We know that he was dead, but now we have seen him alive. And there's a certainty in them that he now lives. Notice the change in them. First, when Jesus first encountered them on the road to Emmaus, he approaches them, he comes to them. They were discouraged and confused. Right? They stop in sadness. They don't know what's going on. The one that they had trusted in and hoped in, to be the redeemer of Israel, was dead. So they're hopeless and they're discouraged. But now look at the difference in them. Now they're joyful and hope-filled. Why? Because a true belief in the resurrection does something practically to us. It changes the way we think Jesus lives, therefore life is worth living. Jesus lives, therefore we will also live. Jesus lives, therefore the curse of sin is removed. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And we now await a new heaven and a new earth. It changes our perspective. So where we were discouraged, where we were confused, where we were uh, hopeless... Christ comes and changes all of that. And a knowledge and a hope that he is alive changes our perspective. But secondly, there's another very practical effect that a knowledge of the resurrection brings to these disciples. Notice that when we started our text today, they draw near to the village to which they're going. Jesus acts as if he's going farther, and they urge him strongly, saying, stay with us. Don't go further. And partially that is because of the danger, dangers of nighttime travel, dangers that he would face if he went further at night. But now, now they know that Christ has been raised from the dead. Now they've seen him. Now their hope has changed. They've gone from discouraged and Being taught by him then and their hearts burning within them to a realization Jesus lives. And notice how they respond immediately. What shall we fear? And so they're more than willing to face the dangers of a seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem at night. It doesn't say they wait till morning. They disregard the advice that they've given to this man previously. Don't go further. Don't go out at night. It's dangerous there at night. But now their hope has changed. Jesus lives. We will live. There's hope in Christ. Why would we fear dangers? We have news that we need to get to other people. So let's go. And they disregard their own advice and go back at night this seven-mile journey to Jerusalem to tell others that Jesus is alive. They're changed. They're willing to do what they've compelled another not to do prior to their knowledge of the resurrection. And in similar ways, there are practical effects for us when we believe and know that Jesus is alive. Like them, we have hope and we have joy. We look at things differently. And like them, we live differently. We have different priorities. They were not afraid to face danger to tell other people that Jesus is alive. And that's exactly what Jesus calls his disciples to live like. Knowing Jesus as the risen Lord and Savior changes everything. Certainly that is the implications Paul is giving in 1 Corinthians 15. If, Christ is, if there's no resurrection from the dead and if Christ is not raised, then we're hopeless. Our message is meaningless. It's empty. In fact, we're, of all people, most to be pitied. There's an implication in that statement that we're living weird that we're denying things and living a weird life if Christ is not raised from the dead. But in fact, he has been raised. So it's not strange for these disciples to go in the dark at night to go tell people about Jesus, though it's dangerous. That's not at all strange because Jesus is alive. Knowing him as the risen Lord and Savior changes everything. And I would encourage you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, if you don't know Christ, risen from the dead, we're going to go into a time where we sing and we take communion, but our desire for you is that you would know Him, that you would trust in Him, that you would surrender to Him. Jesus, graciously, on this road to Emmaus, showed these two disciples why it was necessary for Him to come As God, take on flesh and die on the cross for the sins that he never committed, our sins. So that whoever trusts in him could be saved. And he conquered not only sin on the cross, but he conquered death. He's victorious over sin and death. He's raised from the dead. And so the scriptures tell us all who trust in him will be saved. There'll be no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you don't know him and you would want today to pray with someone and surrender to him, I would encourage you to go to the prayer room as we sing. Joey and Terrence will be there to meet with you. They would love to pray with you and talk with you. But for those of us here that remain here, we're going to go into a time of communion And I want us to consider together the last part of the text. They told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. There's a practical response for us who believe and know that Jesus is alive. There's many practical responses, but one of them is that we take the Lord's Supper together. A belief in the resurrection translates to a belief that Jesus is made known to us in the Lord's Supper, as the bread is broken, as we drink together from the cup. Jesus is alive, and one way that we know him is in breaking bread together. I would say that in two ways. He's known to us first and that we participate with him. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And that word in the language that this is written in, in the Greek, is the same word that's used in Acts 2.42 that's translated fellowship. That they devoted themselves, the the, the disciples devoted themselves to fellowship. And what Paul says is when we take the bread and the cup, we're participating, we're fellowshipping, fellowshipping together with the Lord. We believe that. We believe that coming together and taking the bread and taking the cup, he's made known to us in that we're fellowshipping together and with him. And secondly, he is known to us in taking the Lord's Supper as we proclaim our belief to one another. That's what Paul says in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 11. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That there is a proclamation, a gospel proclamation, each and every time we take the bread and take the cup. We're saying something as we do that. We believe. We believe that Jesus came and died for our sins, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and that he's coming back again. You proclaim his death until he comes. We believe he's alive and we believe he's returning. And so we believe that he is known to us as we proclaim that belief to one another. Just as these disciples went and gathered with others to proclaim what they so joyfully believe, that Christ died and was raised, the only hope of salvation for sinners like me and like you, we too gather and we proclaim our belief in his death and that he lives. And the Lord's Supper is a means of doing that he's made known to us as we take the bread and the cup because we participate with him and we proclaim truth about him to one another and so let's prepare our hearts to that end let me pray father thank you for your goodness and your grace lord we thank you for your word we thank you for the gospel we thank you for jesus who came and died and yet now lives And what a joy it is that for these weeks we can just celebrate again and again the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we look at a few weeks, our celebration of your coming to earth, that coming would be meaningless if you didn't now live. The resurrection brings us hope, Lord. And we praise you. And we thank you for this means of remembering and means of participating, Lord. That we have a means of responding in faith, that we participate with you. You're made known to us as we fellowship together and with you in taking the bread and the cup. And you're made known to us, Lord, as we proclaim the gospel message to one another. Unashamed, we believe Jesus Christ. Your body was broken and your blood was shed. And apart from those works, we are hopelessly lost. And we believe that you now live raised from the dead and that you are coming again to rescue us. And we praise you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.